The following class was held at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at RedeemerNC.org. Wonderful to get together with you all on a Wednesday night and sing in cool weather. Praise the Lord. I went outside on my back porch. I'm so glad to have a back porch. Went outside on my back porch two days ago and was chilly in the morning. Praise God. It's so nice. It's good to see you guys here. Uh, thanks for making the switch. We switched weeks and you made it, so we're glad you're here. We're capping off our summer series on the will of God. Uh, we've looked at uh, pursuing the will of God, what the will of God is, problems in the pursuit of the will of God, and tonight we're talking about hopefully practicals uh, and also some sort of clarifications and uh, just kind of wrapping things up here. And at any point, please uh, raise your hand, ask a question, or just shout out a question. Maybe I'll hear you. Uh, but let's have a little bit of a dialogue tonight. It doesn't need to be all one way. I definitely want to hear from you as well, and we'll certainly have time at the end, too, for any kind of Q&A. Uh, let me pray again for our time, and, and we'll dive in. Lord, we are grateful to be gathered here. We're so glad to have your word which you have, in which you've revealed yourself to us. You've made yourself known. In Christ, we can look on the face of God, and you have inspired the scriptures, you have breathed them out, Old and New Testaments, so that we might know who you are, so that we can know what your will is for our lives, so that we can know your goodness and the future that we have in Christ. God, thank you so much that you are a God of steadfast love, of covenant faithfulness, who has been patient with your people for millennia, and you have sent your son to redeem us and welcome us into your family, to graft us into your people. Thank you for the ways we've been able to sing to you already. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to be in this place. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, so I want to start, we're just going to dive right in. I want to start with a couple of clarifications from uh, where we've been and the things that we've already covered. Some things that have kind of come out and some of the questions that have been asked over the last three weeks that maybe would be helpful to clarify. Um, so to do that, just to recap, what do we mean by the will of God? And let me go ahead and invite a little dialogue now. I promised it. Let me invite it. What do we mean by the will of God? Does anybody want to say a succinct definition or just take a stab at it? The will of God. What happens, <laughs> what happens is the will of God. Yeah, there you go. Good. What else? The will of God. Give me one other one. What God desires. What God wants. Yeah, very simply what He wants. I, one of the things I did in preparing to, to talk with you all tonight is I looked everywhere in the Bible where uh, the will of God was, was in the Scriptures. Try to search by the original languages so I get the right word, right? Um, so what is the will of God? And if you look at all those in sequence, you can always replace it with what He wants. So what God desires. What He's after. So what He uh, yeah, hopes for or desires. So, by the will of God. Now, we've been talking kind of about three different things in this series when we've talked about the will of God, and I want to try to clarify those a little bit. There's two main categories of the will of God, and then there's kind of a subset that we've been hinting at. So the two different things that we've been talking about when we say the will of God in this series are sometimes known as the hidden will of God and the revealed will of God. Sometimes it's the secret will of God, 
and the revealed will of God. And these, this language comes from Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, which says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So secret things and revealed things. So let's talk about that hidden will, secret will for a minute. That's God's sovereign reign over all things. When we've talked in the series about God, that all evil and all that happens, all good and evil, is within the will of God, we're talking about the secret, the hidden will of God, His sovereignty over all things. Don quoted the first week, Genesis 50, verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive. So God has good plans even in evil things that happens. He can redeem evil. So evil isn't what he desires. It's not in his revealed will, but he works it together in the counsel of his hidden will. Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, Ephesians 1, 11, 2, I'll let you look that up another time. So what does this mean? What's the benefit of understanding the hidden will of God? Well, one pastoral benefit, one benefit to our souls is that it means that the universe is not deterministic. It's, it's not just a machine that was set up to run. It's not just a computer simulation or a set of chemistry uh, equations to where the universe is just running based on physics or calculus or whatever from the beginning to the end, and everything's already predetermined and it's soulless and lifeless. It, it means instead that, that God, it, that the center of reality is mysteriously relational and personal. And you see this in John 1.1. 1, 1. The Word became flesh. The divine logos, the, the, that which uh, organizes all reality, from which all reality comes, is a person and comes into creation. He's the divine logos, he's personal. So there's a mystery, there's a relationship in the middle of, of all creation. It's beautiful. Uh, a word we haven't dropped in the series yet, but maybe we should, is the word compatibilism. So just very, it's a big word, but just to sum that up, compatibilism means that God is sovereign and yet we are responsible. God is sovereign and yet we are responsible. One of the best stories about this that put this together for me was one time I, I heard somebody who was a missionary talk about uh, trying to get overseas to minister to some churches over there. And we didn't know it, the airlines, there were problems with the airlines. It's never happened to anybody before, but it happened to this person. And, and he summed up and he told this story about how everything worked out, the perfect timing for him to get there. And the conclusion of it, he tells it way better than I do. The conclusion of it was, God is sovereign, but Delta was responsible. See, so you get it. All right, compatibilism. There's a tension. There's a mystery here. There's something impenetrable by the human mind. But God is over all things, and yet human beings are responsible. We see this in the Scriptures. This, just, this isn't just fancy philosophical language. We see it when Pharaoh hardens his heart, and yet God hardens his heart, right? as we see the story of the, uh, the Exodus unfold. Okay, so the hidden will of God is God's sovereign reign over all things. And then there's the revealed will of God, which has been more of our focus in this series. Another name for it that Don mentioned is the moral will of God. So the revealed or moral will of God. Uh, John talked about how we know it. It's spoken by the prophets. It's revealed to us in the scriptures. 
Uh, it is preserved and illuminated by the Spirit as the church reads the Scriptures throughout the ages. Uh, so that's the revealed will of God. It's seen for us in the Scriptures and ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. So hidden will of God, revealed will of God, or moral will of God. And then we've also been kind of kicking around this question of, well, what's God's will for my life? What's His will for me? And it's a little bit of a different question. You know, we've been asking these questions, what job should I take? Should I get married? Who should I get married to? Should I change careers? Should I change churches? Usually as pastors, when people come to me wanting to know what's God's will, that's what they're asking. What does he want for me? Which job should I take? Where should I move? All those kind of things. So we're trying to get at that, and, and at the end of tonight, we're going to try to get even more practical on that. Um, now, so two weeks ago, Don cautioned us against some of these problems in pursuing God's will for, for our life. We should be wary, he said, of our own hearts. We should examine our hearts by the Scriptures. We should be careful about reading into circumstances. We shouldn't expect to see signs. Our feelings are unreliable. We should be wise in how we read the Scriptures. I'm going to talk more about that Scriptures piece tonight. And let me just say this, this is kind of an aside, but one of the reasons we share teaching here at Redeemer is so that you get a, a, a variety of perspectives and a, a variety of angles on this uh, from different elders. And this is really an aside, it's really beside the point, but, but I want you to know that at Redeemer we have a statement of faith. It's a New Hampshire Confession of Faith, you can find it on our website. But within that, believing in that, there's all kinds of different variations there's all kinds of different things we can disagree about and still be in fellowship together as a church. And so there might be some things you've heard in this series that you are like, I don't know if I agree with that all the way. And we can still have unity in Christ, Amen. right? Amen. If we're, it, because we have our statement of faith, the New Hampshire Confession of Faith, great boundaries for us. We can have difference and we can have arguments and we can contend, but we can still have unity. All right, so you may not agree with everything I say, or maybe you do, and I say it differently or whatever, and that's okay. There's differences among the elders. We love each other. We work together for the gospel. All right, that's all on aside. Let's talk about the pursuit of God's will. One of the things that we hope is coming across in this series is that it's more important that you pursue God's revealed will for your life than it is that you know His specific will for the next step you should take. It's more important that you, should, that you give your energy and your effort to God's revealed will than it is that you somehow discover exactly what you feel He wants you to do for the next step. So we want you to pursue what God has said, what His revealed will is. And I want to break that down into a few different points. To know God's will for your life, here's some, I think, practicals. Pursue relationship with God. Pursue obedience to God. Pursue wisdom from God, pursue wise counselors, pursue prayer, and make a decision. All right, so that's where we're going. That's what we're going to talk about. Pursue relationship with God. In Matthew 12, 50, Jesus said, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Brother, sister, mother. Those are relational terms. So whoever does God's will is family to Jesus. So pursue relationship with God. In a similar way, no one can do God's will who is not pursuing real relationship with the God of grace. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The renewal of the mind doesn't come through mere information transfer. The renewal of the mind comes through a real relationship with the God who has revealed himself. So it's important that we have accurate knowledge of God as he's revealed himself in the scriptures, because that's who God is. But it's not enough to know about God if we want to live with wisdom, we want to live according to God's will. We must know God himself. There's a difference between knowing him and knowing about him. We must seek to know God. How do you do that? Well, through regular Bible reading with a heart posture of seeking intimacy with God, through regular prayer, all these other things we're going to talk about, with a posture of seeking intimacy with God. Open your Bible daily and say, Lord, let me see your face. Let me see your heart. Help me know who you are. I want to take a minute and and sort of help you with that, and we'll kind of come back and do this again in another way in a minute. But maybe the easiest place to see God's heart in the Bible is the Gospels. Probably the easiest. It's all inspired. It's all God's Word. But in the Gospels, yeah, in seminary, one of the things sometimes they like to do is kind of hate on the red-letter Bibles. Y'all know red-letter Bible? What are the red letters? Who are the red letters? It's Jesus' words. And they hate on that because it's not in the Greek, like it's not, there's no red letters in the old manuscripts, and actually it's not always really clear where Jesus is talking versus where John's talking or whatever. But you know what? The red letters are great. They're great. I love hearing what Jesus has to say. Sometimes it's easiest just to see what the Lord has to say, all right? So in the, in the Gospels, it's easy to, to kind of see God's heart because you just see Jesus, and it's right there. Let's talk about some other parts, parts of the Bible where we want to know God, we want to know who God is, and maybe it's a little bit more difficult. Don alluded to this two weeks ago. Uh, let's talk about the book of Acts in particular. In the book of Acts, it gets a, it's a little bit more difficult to see the heart of God because there's a distinction in the book of Acts that we don't always draw out, that we're not always taught about. And it's the distinction between what's descriptive and what's prescriptive. What's descriptive and what's prescriptive. Now, I know I'm dropping a lot of words on you guys tonight. I'm sorry, it's Wednesday, it's halfway through the week, you're tired. But descriptive just means it describes what happened. Prescriptive means it's what the Lord is, is saying the church must do in every time and place throughout you know, this age until Christ returns. So there's a lot of things in Acts that are descriptive and not prescriptive. And so you can make a mistake if you're reading the book of Acts. For example, like if you're reading... Uh, there, there's the story where some are converted, but the Holy Spirit doesn't fall on them. Well, is that descriptive or prescriptive? Some say that's prescriptive and that you need to be baptized, you need to come to faith, and then later the Holy Spirit falls on you. But if you read it in the context of the book of Acts, and we could, we could talk about this, but it seems that there's something unique happening at that time because this is when the gospel's going out to Gentiles and, and Peter needs to see with his own eyes that the Holy Spirit has fallen on these people. So it's sort of a one-time special event that there would be this Holy Spirit falling on at a second uh, time after their, their salvation. All right, all that to say, reading the book of Acts, it can become confusing, descriptive and prescriptive. Here's maybe a more accessible story in uh, Acts 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. You know the story? Uh, Philip is, is miraculously transported beside the chariot of a rich Ethiopian eunuch to help him understand what he's reading in the book of Isaiah. Is that prescriptive? 
Yeah, you want to see me do it, right? Like you expect it. Should, is it normative for the Christian life for me to be walking along and suddenly transport to somewhere else? Now, God can do it. I'm not saying he, won't, he can't do it today. I'm just saying that's not normative for every Christian across all time space. So Acts is, you got to understand what you're reading in context of when it's happening in the Scriptures. Uh, so that's the Gospels and Acts. The epistles are, are a little bit easier. Those are written to churches. They're written directly to us in the church age. And so you can read those and see a little bit more clearly what God expects of the church because it's sort of directly to the church. Revelation. I don't have time. We just got to keep out of time talking about Revelation. Or the Old Testament. The Old Testament, we can see who God is, His holiness. Uh, we can see that God is the covenant-making creator who's uh, promises to his people. He fulfills throughout time, and he's patient with his people. And we know that we're grafted into the family of Israel, so God's promises to Israel are for us in the church if we're in Christ. In the prophetic books in the Old Testament, we see God's heart for obedience and for faithfulness and for justice. The writings, the historical books, Joshua, Judges, Kings, and the wisdom books, we see how God is sovereignly orchestrating history. So to know God's heart, you gotta, you got to see how He moves throughout all the Bible, and you need to read it in its context, and you have to seek His heart as you're reading it. So it's not enough to know about God, we must seek to know God. And that's not just in reading the Bible, we're going to say more about other things. But first, if you want to live a life according to the will of God, you've got to pursue relationship with God. It's probably obvious. The second one is to pursue obedience to God. Pursue obedience to God. Um, we have to put into practice what God commands if you want to be living according to God's will. Uh, in Romans 2, Paul chastises the Jews. He says, if you know God's will because you're instructed from the law, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? In that verse, in those verses, what we see is it's not enough to know, again, it's not enough to have head knowledge of God's commands, but obedience to God's command is what's required. It's not enough to memorize the commands of God. We must obey the commands of God to be in the will of God. It's not even enough to teach others what God wants. He's not real impressed that I'm talking right now to you about what the Bible says. He wants to know, am I obeying His will in my life? Am I obeying His commands? We must do what God wants. Be doers of the word, James says, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, and at once forgets what he looks like. So we must pursue relationship with God. We've got to pursue obedience to God, and then pursue wisdom from God. Trying to get practical here, how do we pursue wisdom from God? Well, we can look again through the Scriptures. As we're reading the Scriptures, we can see what is wise. For example, in the Law, which is the first five books Sometimes the whole Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, the law, we can learn wisdom about what is right. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Psalm 119, 98 says, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. The beauty of the Lord's commands makes us wise about what's right, what's good, what's moral what aligns with what's at the center of the universe, which is God himself. So we, we read our Bibles, and we are formed by the reading of the law in what is right. We learn what's wise. In the Psalms, we get wisdom for our emotions. How should we feel? And then how should we feel about how we feel? 
How should we think about how we feel? Right? We don't run away with our emotions, let them lead us, but we go to the Psalms and we see in the Psalms every possible human emotion. And how do we reflect on that? In light of who God is. Psalms give us wisdom for what to do with our emotions. Some of you guys didn't know you had emotions tonight. You do. Maybe at Redeemer you're better about that. I don't know. All right, wisdom for your emotions. Wisdom for navigating life. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Wisdom for just how do you negotiate circumstances? How do you act in business? Book of Proverbs. Very helpful for that, isn't it? How do you get up every morning when it seems meaningless and repetitive and you're getting up and your children are screaming? It's the same thing every day. Ecclesiastes is helpful for that. (laughs) There's meaning in the world. There's wisdom for navigating life. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. What I'm trying to show you here is that we need to, if you want to walk in the will of God, you've got to be regularly in all of the scriptures. In all of the scriptures. Throughout the scriptures, we're learning different things about how to walk in wisdom, which is walking in the will of God. Uh, and then there's the wisdom that shames the wise of this world. This is the pinnacle of wisdom, Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20 through 31. I won't read them all, but, but Paul asks, where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? And he says that it's the cross of Christ that, that makes the foolish of this world shame the wise. This thing that looks silly, that looks like defeat, is actually victory. And so there at the cross of Christ, if we want to live in the will of God, we've got to press deeper into the cross of Jesus Christ. You you want to know what to do in this next circumstance, what to do in this next moment when my child is acting this way or when I have this job situation, we need to look to to the cross of Christ and say, what does that have to do with this next thing? You can can look at it and you can ask yourself, why am I afraid to make this decision? What's my fear here? And what does the cross have to say about that? Or why is it that I want to make this decision? What's my ambition here? Am I trying to make a name for myself? Am I trying to prove to somebody that I'm wise? And the cross can give us wisdom for the life decisions that we all face. You see, am I making any sense? I don't know. Okay, a couple of nods there. Rest of y'all, sorry, I don't know. (laughs) If you want to be wise to do God's will in your life, you've got to go deeper into the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the pinnacle of wisdom, Christ and Him crucified. He is wisdom incarnate. And He is obviously the will of God. So look to the Gospels, look to the epistles, and see what it means that Christ was crucified. See how that applies to life. Uh, Here's just a short example from the Gospels. Um, you know, Peter, uh, Peter often spoke out of turn. He sort of would lurch out with what he was thinking. And uh, Jesus would have to rebuke him. Get behind me, Satan. You know, you're not thinking God's thoughts. You're thinking man's thoughts. You're thinking about how to have power in this world according to man's way. But Jesus had another plan, and that was to go and die. So the cross shifts how we interact with just day-to-day life. Uh, And then the epistles also are helpful for wisdom, for living on mission in community. What's the will of God? Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always till the end of the age. That's the will of God. What's the will of God? That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the will of God. Where do we learn how to do that in community, on mission, in the epistles? 
in the letters in the New Testament. So we read those and we're formed by them to live in wisdom, to live according to the will of God. We should not look for wisdom in conspiracy theories. I mean, a lot of people are. And maybe some of you are. Because you're on the internet. And maybe you spend too much time on the internet. I don't know. We should not look for wisdom in conspiracy theories. We should not look for wisdom in, I'm just going to say, in discernment blogs. If a blog tells you it's a discernment blog, it's probably not. Probably not. It might be. Probably not. Check with your elders. You should not look for wisdom for those who are always quarreling, always fighting. Man, there's a lot of people out there who say they have wisdom, and they're just fighting, and they're stirring up fight, stirring up strife, and it's not causing any kind of unity. There's no winners. It's just fighting, fighting, fighting. There's no wisdom there. It's not the will of God. So we have to pursue wisdom to pursue the will of God, and then pursue wise counselors. And this is, this is just simple, straight out of Proverbs 24, verse 6. For by a wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. So you know that, you've probably heard it before, but don't go it alone. Don't, if you're looking for what's God's will for this next step in my life, and you go into your prayer closet, and you pray about it really hard, and you're all alone, you pray about it, and you get this really clear feeling, this is exactly what God wants me to do with this next step in my life, step in my life. And then you go out and you start talking to Christians that know you. And all of them are like, no, I don't think it is. I don't care how good your prayer time was. Listen to wise counsel. It's probably God's voice. So we have to pursue wise counselors. If you feel God is telling you to do something that no other Christian in your life thinks you ought to do, listen to the counselors. But obviously, that's not always how it goes. Sometimes you just, really, you have two good decisions before you. You could take a job here, you could take a job there. How am I going to approach that? There's no scripture on that. Either way could be good. Well, seek wise counsel. But you know that. All right, pursue wise counselors and pursue prayer. Pursue prayer to pursue God's will for your life. I'll be preaching on this this Sunday, but Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after. You hear that one thing? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You hear David's heart to, to know God's face, to see his face, to know his will, to be in his presence. Pursue God in prayer to know his will. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the most helpful things in my own my own life, is that I pray the Lord's Prayer daily, sometimes multiple times a day. And to, to pray those words, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in the next five minutes, in the next meeting, so helpful to me to know what God's will is, to focus my mind. So we must pursue him, uh, God's will in prayer. Some of the things we can do in prayer before God is we can examine ourselves. We can ask God to reveal our fears. We can ask him to reveal our idols. He can, we can ask him to reveal to us our unwarranted desires, things that we're wanting that we shouldn't be wanting or that are out of proportion that will help us make the next decision. We can ask him for insight, so not only self-examination, but insight, asking God for the ability to see all sides of a decision. Lord, give me more perspectives. Maybe, 
Maybe you see only two options, but maybe there's five options ahead of you. Maybe you feel like there's two bad options, but really there's a third option that's, that's not as bad. Or maybe it's great. You can pray for the Lord to give you wisdom, to give you insight. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. You can ask God for truth. Help me, God, to discern between true and false statements, beliefs, true and false data, if that's what you're looking at to make a decision. You can ask him for peace. God, give me a calm about whatever decision I make. Give me a peace to face this. I don't like either of these. I'm scared of this decision. This decision means change, and I'm scared of what that's going to mean. We can ask him for peace, and that'll help us. And then listen to God in prayer. Do you take time to listen? Do you take time to be still before God? You silent before him. You listen for his voice. I know I just said all that earlier about like, don't hear God's voice in your prayer closet and everybody disagrees with you and then go with that. But I do want you to go in your prayer closet and listen for God's voice. See what he says to you. But then check what you hear by the scriptures and wise counsel. Okay. So pursue wise counselors, pursue prayer. And then the last thing, uh, to pursue the will of God, make a decision. That, to me, that's really freeing. Just make a decision. Uh, you can't steer a ship that's not moving. This is biblical, by the way. If you look at 1 Corinthians 4.19, Paul says, I'll come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I'll, I'll find out not to talk with these arrogant people, but their power. That's sort of beside the point that we're making here. But Paul has a plan. He made a decision. I'm going to come to you soon if the Lord wills. He knows he's holding the decision loosely, but he has a plan. James 4.15, of course, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So he's saying we shouldn't go and just say, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this and be confident, be arrogant about that. But we should make a decision. We should just say, if the Lord wills. So make a decision. How did I know that the time was right for me, after nine years at Southern Church, to come to Redeemer? When I wasn't looking for it, I wasn't looking to, to make any kind of change that I knew of. I was like, okay, Lord, you got me here. Let's keep going. How did I know? Well, I did, I did all these things. You know, I've been living a life in the Word by God's grace. I've been living a life seeking God in prayer. I sought a lot of wise counsel from people who knew me for different amounts of time to see, like, do you guys think this is a good idea? Should I pursue this? Does this sound good? Is this right? Does this fit? Am I going to be unhappy? Am I going to like, be bummed I'm not preaching all the time? I'm not, by the way. It's really great. I'm like on vacation now. Um, I, so I would look for wisdom from counselors, right? I, tons of prayer. Um, and then it, it was in prayer with God, and, and I didn't hear the voice of God, but I heard in, pretty clearly in my prayers, like, go. It's time to go. It's, it's time to move on, time to get going. What lies it? Tom Petty? All right. I'm going to quote Tom Petty on Sunday too. Get ready. Go look up who Tom Petty is. Um, yeah. What else do I want to tell you about that? He spoke to me. I'll just say he spoke to me. He didn't give me a voice. I didn't have a vision. But I just had this clear sense. This is what the Lord wanted. And, and wisdom corroborated it. Scriptures wanted it. And, and here's the deal. If I had decided, if I would said, okay, I think it's the Lord's will for me to stay. And I'm going I'm to keep on here at South Durham it would have been the Lord's will. Right? Because nothing passes, nothing comes to pass, but what is within the hidden will of God. 
But that's not what happened, so clearly it's the Lord's will for me to be here. Sorry. All right, so make a decision. The Lord has purposes we do not understand, but He's revealed His trustworthiness, His steadfast love, and His moral will for our lives. So none of us, none of us does His revealed will anywhere near the way we ought to, right? Amen? None of us does what we know we should do anywhere near where we ought to be on that. So our focus actually should be there. Our focus should be there, not on, oh, Lord, what do you want me to do on Wednesday? What do you want me to have lunch tomorrow? Our focus should be on how are we obeying God's will. And then we should seek God's will, of course, in these different decisions in our lives and just make that part of our regular habit. And we really should know it's really okay. It's really okay to love God and do as you please. To love God and, and, and then just do as you please. Because if you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbors yourself, you'll be in his will. John, uh, in, in John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So work on loving him, and you'll be in his will. Okay, questions, discussion, thoughts? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Kevin DeYoung's Just Do Something. Yeah, he, he just was recommending the book uh, Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung, which is a, a nice short book on the will of God, how to, how to discern the will of God for your life. It's great. It's a good one. We have a couple of free copies of the office. So let me know. That's a great question. So just for the recording, I'll, re- I'll repeat the question. Um, how do I discern if somebody's in a job that they hate, they're miserable in, it's, they hate, their stomach hurts every morning, how do they know whether to keep going, whether that's God's will, or whether it's, that's a sign they need to move on? Okay, yes. And it was clear to me that God had me come to this job, and now I'm miserable at it. Does he want me to stay? That's a good question. Pray, <laughs> uh, no. Yes, Andrew, what? Do you want to add on? Yeah, please. Yeah, I, I think that's good. Maybe I would just try to address a couple of misconceptions that are often out there, which is like, well, it was the Lord's will, and it's kind of the Lord's will for me to be miserable, so I should stay at the job. Is everybody, did anybody else grow up feeling that way? I hear that a lot from Christians, like, well, the Lord just wants me to be miserable. So I'll just... And actually, that's, that's not true. Uh, the Lord may want you to just endure. Like, so that would be some of the things you have to look at. Does the Lord have a mission for me here? Is there an eternal purpose for me to continue to stay here? Do I have a mission field? Do I have influence here where I could get the gospel to people? Maybe that would make it more bearable, more reason for me to be here. Um, but maybe not, you know, and it's okay to, to go try to find a job you like because I think the Lord does want you operating within your gifts, whatever they may be, uh, and that's why he's created you that way. And I think, I think you're going to work forever in heaven um, doing stuff you love to do in the presence of God with other people. And as much as we can do that now, I think it's good if, you, if we can but we also know sometimes we do just have to grind it out and you don't have options. But the Lord is with us in that too. So, good. General questions on the will of God on anything that's been said the whole time, if you remember? Should we pipe Don back on the spot? Well, I've got another question. Okay. Don's got another one. So what would be just a path of wisdom for I have a chance not speaking about my current job? <laughs> Doing those 30 days. 
Yeah, whether or not to, to take a promotion that's significant salary, but there's other risks and everything involved, and how would you discern through that? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of variables, again, that could go into that situation, right? So you, you've got to ask, uh, what would this do to my family? Because your responsibility is there. What would this do to my involvement in the church? Is this going to harm me spiritually by removing me from fellowship that I need to be in? Or is it going to harm my ability to invest in others in God's church? Uh, why do I want to make more money? It's a pretty good question to ask. Well, there's a lot of good reasons to, and so certainly you can justify it, no problem. But, uh, but what are my motivations? And those would be some things you have to ask. What are the temptations that are going to come with this higher promotion? I'm going to have more responsibility. I may have more power. I may, um, maybe more is going to fall on my shoulders. I may have more opportunity to lie, to shade things. I mean, you just have to discern what are the extra temptations as well that's going to come. And I'm, am I suited for that? Because, again, the way of the cross is to decrease, right? So it shouldn't be a given for the Christian life that we should just go make more money. Um, there may be other priorities, but maybe a way to decrease would be to go make more money and give money away or whatever else. So it does require wisdom. Good. Good question. Those are a couple of thoughts. Any others? It might be safe to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, blues. Man, where would we be? Yeah. A great point. Okay. Hey, thank you guys for coming out with the shift of the week. I hope this is helpful to you. I hope it gives you some things to think about. Uh, hope some, you'll talk about it with one another as well. Uh, let, me, let me ask the Lord's blessing on us, and then we'll, uh, we'll have some ice cream. Invite the kids back, have some ice cream. Lord, we thank you again that you've made yourself known to us. Thank you for revealing your will in the scriptures. God, we would be lost. We were lost. We were in the dark. Uh, we were blind. We were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who's now at work in the sons of disobedience. We were going our own way. We were children of wrath without knowing it. We were living meaningless lives. Lord, that we're just destined for selfishness and then an end. And God, you've rescued us out of that in Christ. And you are rescuing us out of that in Christ. And I just pray that more and more your will would be done at Redeemer and among the saints of Redeemer as it is in heaven. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this class from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this class to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more classes, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.